Radio Drone. 68 episodes of Radio Drone. Can you believe it, Brian and special guest Mike White? It it feels like so many, especially for me. This is your second. Mike, well, this, this is your what? So long. <laughs> Mike, this is your what? Third? Fourth? Third. Third, yes. All right, and then it'll, it'll just be the three of us this week because Brad's still off doing the movie thing. I'm here, asshole. Well, Boop. I'm not used to you being here. Sorry. <laughs> I heard everything you guys said about me, and it was all oh, very, wow. very nice. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> we were complimenting your sweet, sweet bedroom voice. Right? <laughs> Which is why I wish you'd for once remember the Adam and Eve promo, because it would sound so good. It would sound really good coming from me. Yeah, but but you can never remember the details. I can't remember crap anymore. Like, it it sucks. Like, yeah, Jillian will want me to remind her about stuff later, and I, I have to be honest. I'm like, honey, I'm, I'm going to forget. <laughs> <laughs> That's what writing on your hand is for. Yeah, but I'd forget it's there, and I think it was like some cryptic message about the future. I can see that in your house, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, since I made Mike do the... Adam and Eve promo last week. Brian, do you remember the details of the Adam and Eve promo? Boy, I, I could sure give it the old college try. Which is more than Jared, <laughs> more than Jared did some nights. he's going to be gangbanged. <laughs> while, while drunk. <laughs> no, Brad, our gangbang episode is not till next week. That's the 69. <laughs> you, you, you guys have all missed the stuff we were talking about before I hit record, so never mind. <laughs> Trust us, it was hilarious. All right, Brian, Adam and Eve promo, please. All right, well, uh, yeah, Adam and Eve promo. Uh, if you head over to adamandeve.com and use the promo code uh, DROME, uh, I, I won't get gangbanged, but you'll get 30% off a single item. 50%. 50% off a single item. That's even better than what I said. Uh, free shipping. Correct. Two free DVDs. Three free DVDs. Again, better Three. than what you're saying. I, I'm underselling this way too much. You can't get <laughs> enough stuff out of this. And uh, something else. Free mystery gift. I can understand you forgetting that one because it's a mystery. See, I didn't know what it would be. It's you'd be that's just as what surprised. Contains the, that's what contains the Brian gangbang. Mystery <laughs> DVD. A mystery DVD of Brian getting screwed with a bass guitar. Wow. <laughs> I knew it was one of those unlabeled ones I left over here. <laughs> that just went unnecessarily graphic. <laughs> Can it really be that unnecessarily graphic in an Adam and Eve promo? No, and that that is true. Because I mean, because <laughs> Mike he he just tapes his, so he doesn't have to remember any of the details, do you, Mike? Why That's didn't we right. ever think of? Why didn't we ever think of that? I think it's more fun to come up with a you know a different intro every week for it. You don't think that's much more fun? Look, how many well, jokes was, have we had during, over the year? It, it was during the Jared regime. Which also led to terms like gimp it up becoming somewhat synonymous on the internet. <laughs> oh, and I wanted to say before we get into the topic tonight, to Mike and Brad specifically, Mike, you and I just did the Projection Booth special on Night Dreams, and Brad, yes. I know how much you love this movie. I did, I, did, I did quite enjoy Night Dreams. I just found a big box VHS of Night Dreams for 10 bucks online. Oh, yeah, yeah, nice. you sent me that. You sent me that link. 
Meanwhile, I got a meanwhile, I just got a copy of Night Dreams 2, which isn't nearly as good. I warned you. I told you it was kind of (laughs) crappy. Kind of. Is yours in English? Um, I, I actually, I don't know if it is or not. Because the version that's on Cinemageddon's in French, if that's the version you got. It is? Yeah. Then that's probably the one that I got. <laughs> I, I got to lug one of my Laserdisc players up to the DVD recorder one of these days and just take my Laserdisc over to DVD. Just make it so much easier. Later in this episode, I've got an interview I did with the producers of Evocateur. It's a new documentary on Morton Downey Jr., you guys all remember the Morton Downey Jr. show in 87? Oh, yes, yeah. of course. What do you think spawned someone like Mort? Who, For those that don't know, Morton Downey Jr. was basically the grandfather of what we call trash television. He was long before Springer or Jenny Jones or Sally Jesse or anything like that. He brought the bar down lower than anyone thought it could go in 87. And then his career imploded when he stupidly did a publicity stunt where he said he was attacked by skinheads in an airport bathroom and had a swastika painted on his face. Problem it is, Well, problem is, the swastika was all backwards, you know, like it was done in a mirror. Oh. <laughs> well, maybe they were Buddhist neo-Nazis. You don't know. Yeah, see? <laughs> yeah. That would really be neo, wouldn't it? <laughs> And then he had a slight acting career. You might re- he basically played himself in the movie Predator 2. He was the villain in Revenge of the Nerds 3. He played Adrian Paul's boss in a CIA movie once. He played himself on a Rockford Files episode, of all things. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I remember an old uh, Tales from the Crypt he did where he was, again, basically himself. And that was a creepy as hell episode, too. Yeah, I, I really liked that one. Like th- that, uh, that episode was like the first thing I thought of. Uh, when I started seeing uh, a while back promos for that uh, found footage one, uh, Grave Encounters, I'm like, oh, I've already seen this, like, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. <laughs> I was going to say 10 years ago. Jesus, man, when did you see that? Well, I don't know. I rewatched it. Uh, I have no grasp on time. I rewatched I really... it, like, 10 years ago. Well, I always get more mixed up with um, Geraldo, believe it or not. I guess it was just they were kind of around at the same time, and... You know, Mort seemed to be kind of what Geraldo wished that he could do. You know, Geraldo always tried to maintain that I've been on 2020 credibility thing, but he was just itching to be that showman that Morton Downey Jr. was. So that's how I always see them in my mind anyway. I always just think it was inspired casting for Stephen Hopkins to cast him basically as himself in Predator 2. So oh, yeah. If, if you remember the character he played in Predator 2, it he was, was awesome him in Kane. the future. What? <laughs> what? Not RoboCop 2. <laughs> That's Kane. Whatever, man. That was a great scene where Danny Glover fought Tom Noonan. That was awesome. Well, and then, you know, speaking of that, Nostalgia Critic just did a Red Dragon versus Manhunter, and it really pissed me off that Red Dragon came out as the better film to him. I think Man- well, Manhunter's a far superior movie in every way to me. I watched I watched Manhunter with him too. Uh, we watched it. Uh, I, I I don't know, like the day before I came back, the day before I came back from Chicago, we were all watching Manhunter. 
that actually surprises me that he likes Red Dragon better because uh, a lot of us were saying that. Granted, I can't remember a lot of what he said. Obviously, he liked the other one better. But um, yeah, the rest of us are. I mean, of course, it was probably my twentieth time seeing Manhunter, so um, so I already knew I liked it better. But yeah, everyone else was like, everyone else too is like, this one is this one. This one's a lot better. It's a lot more tense, and it has oh, a yeah. st- and it has style to it, Mike. I think. You know, I mean, all of us are big 80s aficionados. Good God, does that movie have 80s style to it, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what what was funny, too, was uh, it, it's picking out all of the people in the movie who have at one point or another been on Vice. Well, and, the, and then the, the other thing, connection to Vice is he actually kind of adapted Manhunter even before he adapted Manhunter. Remember the uh-huh. Miami Vice episode where Crockett had to go talk to the serial killer he caught years earlier to catch another serial killer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Mann said he basically loosely mm-hmm. based that off Man or off the Red Dragon book to begin with. Yeah. So Manhunter kind of is a remake. Uh huh. Really want to get technical about it. <laughs> well, who was it that directed uh, Red Dragon? Was that Brett Ratner? That was yes. that was Brett Ratner. Which is why oh, that explains why there was absolutely no visual style whatsoever. Well, yeah. I thought Red Dragon was fine. I, th- I thought it, I thought it worked fine. I just like Manhunter a lot better. Manhunter did, and, and I get, I, I understand why Red Dragon wanted to put the original ending back in it, just to make it, you know, just so it has that ending in there. But I, I prefer the ending to Manhunter, to be quite honest. And mm-hmm. it will, and it's beautifully poetic after he gets shot. The way yeah. that the way the blood flows around him like wings mm-hmm. on a dragon, that's, yeah, that's yeah. gorgeous. And that's great stuff. The the fake out ending just on the red dragon just loses all that. Yeah, it does. But again, they're working from the source material on it, so I I, I get why they did it. I I, I didn't go into it thinking well, they're just going to do the manhunter ending again. I hope none of us prefer red dragon because Brian, you didn't really pipe up yet. He hates well, manhunter. I hate that so much. No, no, honestly, like, yeah. I mean, oh, disconnected. No, I, I mean, it really is the the better of the movies. I mean, it's it, it, it has so much more of an actual like, uh, like atmospheric feel to it. Like uh, the 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 remake just felt really kind of flat to me. And plus, I I just liked in in Manhunter a lot better. Like the parts that actually had Hannibal Lecter to it, that it wasn't you know, at this point, so overly romanticized and everything, like, it wasn't, like, a huge build-up, like, oh, and then Anthony Hopkins comes out. No, it's just... Big showcase for the hand for Hannibal Lecter. Uh-huh. Exactly. It was just, oh, he's some weird dude in a cell. Okay. Yeah. And he was creepy. Brian Cox was a creepy bitch too, in that. Yeah, he was. He <laughs> was. Um, yeah, because Manhunter, or, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Red Dragon feels more like they just kind of did it out of a necessity, just... Oh, Very much feels like Hopkins a, a studio-driven. Yeah, um, I, I'd agree. And with I, that. I, I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's fine. I just, I like I said, I just greatly, greatly prefer Manhunter in a, in a lot of areas. Me, me too. I, and I was actually a little offended. And Mike, I know you and I talked about this once, about how the the advertising for it. Now, when it was first advertised, just fine. But did have you guys ever seen the DVD cover to Manhunter? Is it the one that I, I have the limited edition DVD that's two discs? No, okay. Um, I, I'm talking the regular one, which is the same one that the, the late 90s VHS was as well, where it's, it's, it's the actual movie poster, but underneath it it says um, the first Hannibal Lecter movie. 
Oh, right. Yeah, my my double my limited edition DVD says that too. That just kind of pisses me off that they're selling it as a Hannibal Lecter movie when, yes, he's a key character. He's got what, fifteen, seventeen minutes of screen time in the damn movie. Mm-hmm. He's barely in the in the movie, and they're selling it as a Hannibal Lecter movie. And I just I don't know, Mike and I I can't remember if we discussed that on one of the shows or if we were just talking amongst ourselves, but. I remember talking talking to Mike about that, and that just really pissed me off. You know, there is a positive side to that, though, which is – I'm sorry. Um, there are a lot of people out there who probably wouldn't have seen – wouldn't have been introduced to that movie otherwise. So a positive side to that could be that there are plenty more people out there now who have seen Manhunter, and it's a genuinely, a genuinely well-loved movie. Oh, Absolutely. Well, I was going to say that it just felt like they did that remake uh, or new adaptation, reimagining, yeah. reboot, whatever you want to call it, just so that they could make another Anthony Hopkins film and really kind of tie everything together so that they would be able to sell the, uh, you know, the box set a little bit easier down the road kind of thing and not confuse, you know, the common man where they're like, oh, my gosh, there can't be two people that are playing the same character. This is unforgivable. Uh, it just it irritates me when it ir- really irritates me when they do that. Like, have either of you, have any of you guys seen Cutting Class with Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt movie yeah, years ago. I've seen the cover of the box, but have you seen the movie? No, I have not. That one, if I've seen it, it's been a long while. Like, I honestly don't remember anything about it other than yeah, he's in it. Uh, I'll, I'll spoil it a little bit. He's the killer, but mm. but but he's he's not. I mean, he is a main character but they sell it like it's a Brad Pitt movie, and the DVD cover even has a much older-looking Brad Pitt than the very teeny-bopper Brad Pitt that was actually in the film. Well, it's like, what, Sizzle Beach or whatever. They re-released that after Costner got popular and put him right on the front and center, and I think he's in it for, like, what, five minutes or something. Yeah, they did that for Red Surf. They have a there's a DVD out for Red Surf once that had uh George Clooney on the cover, which admittedly he is one of the main characters, but they have him on the cover but it's clearly a picture from ER. Like you can see the stethoscope around his neck and then you flip <laughs> the bo- you flip the box over and it's a picture of Seth Gecko. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember um the, the most egregious one of those has anyone seen the movie Can I Do It Until I Need Glasses? No, but again, I remember the the box for that one. So after all those years in the movie theater, that's or uh, video store, that's one of the things I remember the most. Well, what that was, it was basically a sketch comedy movie that was all visualizing old dirty jokes, and it well, it was horribly not funny. But yeah. there was a there was a sketch involving a then totally unknown comic named Robin Williams. Oh, I, I know this movie now. Yeah. And they ended up cutting his scenes. No one mm-hmm. in the theater saw his scenes. Yeah. Then he starts popping up on Happy Days and then Mork and Mindy. So they insert his scenes back into the movie and re-release it as a Robin Williams movie. And you Ooh. go, no, he's in like four minutes of screen time and it was all deleted scenes. There and they were a, so not funny, they were deleted for a f***ing reason, too. There was a Bill Murray movie, too, that was kind of re-released after he made it kind of big, but I can't remember the name of it. Uh, I don't know, it had some silly title, like Loose Shoes or whatever, I, I don't yep. know. Was that, was. was that it? Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> that's 
<laughs> Smarter than you thought, huh? <laughs> pulled, pulled something out of my ass, and it happened to be delicious. <laughs> well, I've never heard it quite put like that, but okay. <laughs> I, I've always heard it put pulled something out of my ass, and it didn't smell as bad as I thought. Never went. No, it still to, never went bad. to taste. No, no, it it still smelled bad, but. <laughs> All right. But yeah, I I really don't like those very deceptive marketing practices. Like the one that really gets me is Trick or Treat, the 1986 heavy metal serial killer <laughs> yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know exactly where I'm going, Brad. Uh-huh. Mike and Brian, I don't know if you guys have seen this one. It's the starring one... Skippy from Family Ties. Yes. <laughs> but Ozzy Osbourne has a cameo in the movie. And he's maybe a minute of screen time, and he looks nothing like Ozzy Osbourne. He's a TV preacher that's ranting about the evils of heavy metal. Gene Simmons is in it as a DJ named Nuke with a big cowboy hat and a huge beard. So what is the DVD cover? Okay. You know that Modern that is... photos of Ozzy Osbourne and Gene Simmons from their reality show are on the cover. And it says they star in the movie. They have a total of about three minutes of screen time. <laughs> you know that that doesn't it doesn't piss me off. It's one of those things that I just found that I just find very funny when that happens because you can always you can always tell when that's going to happen. And trick or treat is a case like that. You can tell by looking at that that these guys probably aren't in this movie very much, especially if you read the back of the box. And even like uh okay, that movie with Bill Murray, you look at that and you're like, "Whoa, this is starring Bill Murray and I've never heard of it. I wonder where this is going." <laughs> like it's clearly obvious whenever something like that happens, especially when you have a box cover and the still shot is clearly taken from something else. It's kind of a dead giveaway. Not all the time, but sometimes. So you, definitely don't get you'd mad. You'd be surprised that. though. I, I find I find it I find it funny. I I find it very funny whenever I come across something like that. It used to be when I was working at a, at Blockbuster, whenever there was a new Disney film out, we would get yeah. like, these horrible knockoff, you know, like the, the Hans Christian Andersen's Little Mermaid from Sweden or something. <laughs> and you would be amazed at how many times people would come up and they'd be, you know, buying this thing and I'd be like, you know, that's not the Disney film, right? And they're like, what? It's not? And I'm like, well, no, no, I'm not. I'm not saying. For God's sakes. I'm not saying that this is the case with everyone. I'm not saying this is the case with everyone. I'm saying more so in the case of people like us, because I worked right. at a video store. T- I worked at a video store, too. And we got people yelling at us, like, because they rented Transmorphers and thought it was Transformers. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, yeah, there's 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 definitely an audience out there that's going to think, holy crap, Gene Simmons is totally starring in this. But most probably won't. Well, and then the the trick-or-treat box even goes one step further. There are absolutely no extras whatsoever on the DVD. And and to be fair, there's none listed on the back of the box. Yeah. But the one photo that's on the back of the box is the special effects guys setting up a shot. Sweet. So it kind of (laughs) implies that there's a documentary on here. Because you can clearly see the shot is being set up to be filmed. No way, dude. They tricked your ass. I know they did, but it, <laughs> it still pissed me off a little. What really pissed me off is that the Brits got the movie widescreen and we only get it full frame. That pissed me off a little bit. For what? You know, trick or treat? For trick or treat, yeah. The, the American version is full frame. The British version's widescreen. Oh, crap. I couldn't watch that widescreen? Son of a bitch. The movie is called <laughs> Trick or Treat. Yes, yes, see? Well, I wanted the treat, damn it, Mike. I wanted the treat. Not the trick. 
Well, I, I think the most egregious example is one Brad and I talked about in a way earlier episode, which was 21 Jump Street Season 5. Oh, yeah, yeah, the the, the Johnny Depp cover. Yeah, because Johnny Depp had nothing whatsoever to do with the fifth season. In fact, he wasn't even in the last six episodes of Season 4. So when Anchor Bay got the rights, they knew nobody's going to buy Season 5 without Johnny Depp. Uh-huh. So they held his final episode off the Season 4 set and put it on the Season 5 set so they could put Johnny Depp on the cover. Dude, dude, would you be like, you know how they do, like, when a movie version of, like, a novel comes out and then the book will have, like, the poster for the movie? How pissed would you be if they, like, re-release, like, season one of 21 Jump Street and put Jonah Hill on the cover? I think I'd probably go burning some places down, <laughs> or I'd go to a, I'd go to a goddamn clock tower with a high-powered rifle and start picking off civilians. <laughs> That seems like a reasonable response to that. <laughs> when it comes to Jonah Hill and me, yes, it is. It's a very reasonable response. I'm remaining calm on that one. <laughs> They're going to put Johnny Depp on the DVDs for Dark Shadows. Well, oh. <laughs> speak, speaking of that, did you guys see that they just released the entire original series of Dark Shadows on DVD? Yeah, it's like 140 discs or something like that. Who the f*** has $600 to spend on a DVD set? I do. Oh, I, I am so buying that right now. <laughs> I'm totally buying that. It better come with the bloopers, too, because those are some of the best. It, 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 it's got the bloopers, all the episodes, a whole bunch of extras, but I'm just going, $600. That's a month's rent for me. I can't <laughs> see spending that on DVDs. See, do I keep my place, or do I watch some Dark Shadows? This is tough. <laughs> that's, that's damn near two months for me. <laughs> Well, then, or you could you could just save up and just buy a hundred copies of the Tim Burton movie. Oh, jeez! <laughs> so you could burn them. <laughs> that movie that looks funny. There's some funny stuff in that preview. It looks real good. All right, turn turn Mike's turn Mike's mic off. Got it, <laughs> dude. That movie's gonna be awesome. <laughs> well, a, a, a friend of mine, he, his he, you know, just like we discussed when we were talking about it, how you know we all watched this with our moms and whatnot growing up. The original yeah, Dark Shadows. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine, he said his mom, she was hardcore into that show. She just saw the trailer, and you could see on her face her heart breaking. That's the look every on thirty face. seconds as as that trailer went on, her heart just kept breaking. Dude, dude, Brian, Brian, tell him about when I because sh- I showed because I showed Brian the trailer for it, and the same thing happened. Oh my <laughs> god, yeah, I, I I am right there with her. Like every moment of that was just excruciating for me. It's like like this is like a memory I hold on to from my childhood, and it's yeah, just yeah. being just destroyed before my eyes. <laughs> but at least but at least it's being destroyed with laughter because at its right. heart dark shadows was always a comedy <laughs> always <laughs> well hey I, I, okay the guys on geek juice radio thought i was making this up they thought i was punking them have yeah. any of you guys seen the trailer for i kissed a vampire uh, no can't say no. as i have what the hell is that no but it sounds familiar were you talking about this last week I, I I might have. Uh, I don't think on the show. I think it I, was a it was, great 1980s Patrick Dempsey movie. It's it's a movie. It's a Twilight style movie made for teenagers. That's all done as a rock musical, 
with Justin Bieber style music. And it's Dude, it's not sure even you, it's not even sure getting you just a, didn't see the trailer for Rock of Ages. No, no, no. This is different. Rock <laughs> of Ages pissed me off on a different level. Oh, of course it did. But this, get this. <laughs> now, I, I can't say that they don't know their audience. Mm-hmm. I Kissed a Vampire is not even getting a DVD release. It's what? being released through iTunes. Sweet. Nice. They know their exact audience of who is going to be downloading this movie. Teenage <laughs> Girls and Jillian. It's being released. I should, you know what? I should, we, we should do that, uh, Brian. We should do that for one of our next movies. Just release it straight to torrent. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a good way to go. Just just get it directly to our target audience. Yeah, yeah, our target just straight just straight to Cinemageddon. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think that'd be a pretty bold move if you guys did that. Mm-hmm. You, a... you know, I I you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past myself doing that, honestly. For not obviously not for what we're making now, no no fucking way. But if I if I if I made something that only cost me like one or two hundred bucks, you know, probably. <laughs> oh, I, so, I wonder the legality on that too. I mean, we are just we would be just distributing our own property. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it'd be I think it'd be legal. I, yeah. I really don't think it would be illegal if that's how you choose to distribute your own movie. Mr. Jones, you're under arrest for screwing yourself. <laughs> no, that would H. actually that would actually be a really popular porn on XTube, I think. <laughs> okay, Mike and I were uh, doing a projection booth the other day with Chris Gore, and we were talking mm-hmm. about night dreams. Chris Gore pointed out something so perfect in yeah. the recording of that episode. How big of nerds are we when we're talking about the golden age of porn and we're all talking about the cinematography and the camera work and the writing in these movies? But dude, it's legitimate. It's like not even it's like not even like a total, total, total like nerdy thing. It's it's completely legitimate. The writing was better, the movies were better, the acting was better. But but we we're total nerds to be doing that. It's true, but it is but it's it's a very, very, very drastic difference between those movies back then and what they are now. It's a drastic, drastic difference. It isn't something as simple as like, oh, I like, you know, the comedies of the 70s better than the comedies of, of today. You know, that's, you know, sure, sure, that's fine. But like the difference there's a huge difference between something like Night Dreams and even, and you know, honestly, even the porno spoofs of the 70s as well. There is a giant difference between those and this ain't Star Wars triple X. Well, speaking of that, Michael turned me on to a, a, a new director I'd never seen in porn. Michael mm-hmm. Nin? Yeah. Do you, do you know his stuff? I uh, Not by name, anyway. All right, Mike White? School us on Michael Nin. Well, yeah, he has done a lot of great stuff. Um, which ones of your of his have you seen now, Josh? Shock, Latex, Sex One, Sex Two, and Neo Pornography. Wow, you just went head first in his filmography. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. That's how you're supposed to go head first, and I won't say which one. All right, but yeah, um, I, I mean. <laughs> 
very, very super stylized. I mean, I can see definitely a lot of comparisons between him and Andrew Blake as far as uh, some of his more recent stuff, the kind of, you know, um, more of a showcase of uh, female, you know, sexuality and just kind of, um, you know, that slow, um, great soundtrack usually i think it's like a brother or cousin of his that does the soundtrack so you've got an original music score that's actually not you know just this kind of repetitive exactly but then yeah he's got a lot of he's got story to it and he's just got Mm -hmm. more visual style than i think you know 20 regular porn directors put together have was it gives me hope what shocked me? Oh, sorry, Cashmere as well. When I first got Cashmere, ah, go. that was the first one I saw. It was basically a ninety-minute hardcore porn '80s music video. I love the nun scene in Cashmere. Nun? N U N or N O N E? N U N. So I mean, Brad, I'm gonna have to make you copies of the Michael Nin stuff. Yeah, totally. Because I was just blown away. This guy is, if nothing else, the spiritual successor to Rinse Dream. Nice. Uh-huh. If if nothing else, he's a spiritual successor to Rinse Dream. Yeah. And then he, uh, just like Rinse Dream did, he just kind of gave up after a while and, eh, I'm done. Done. I mean, now that you've seen, you see where I'm coming from as far as those kind of being like a spiritual sequel to Night Dreams? Right, right. I still got to watch Smoker, though, because you said that's more of a Night Dreams 2 than Night Dreams 2 is. <laughs> right. So I, I still got to actually, I, I, I bootleg Smoker, but I need to actually watch it now. And something What's else this? I just got, I want all three of your... Like? Uh, Torrent, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'm still all used to what? using, I'm using my, my 90s terminology, sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I just found on Cinemageddon, they have... Drive-In Delirium. It's mm. a British trailer comp. Holy crap. Eight, Good stuff. Eight three-hour discs. That's Whoa. 24 hours of movie trailers, guys. Wow. Eight. I don't know how long this is going to take me to get through, because I'm obviously not going to blaze well, through 20, these in a 24 day. Hours, no, 24 hours. I, 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 yeah. I, I, take- shut up. <laughs> When it says so on the disc, it's going to take you 24 hours. I, I mean, how long it's going to take me to watch them is I'm not going to watch them all in one sitting. Like, Marathon it's going to it, take dude. me a week or... Yeah, I'm just going to... Need more coffee. Must watch trailers. Need more coffee. <laughs> no, no, no coffee. That'll make you crash. You want the five-hour energy drinks. You can do it. Yeah, if only they were a sponsor, then I'd, I'd let you do the commercial for them. <laughs> for five-hour energy? Jillian would have to do those commercials. She's... Too- addicted to those things. It's all about Red Bull and vodka for that kind of a thing. So then you get the drunkenness and the wired. Exactly. I can be happy and sad. Right. (laughs) If I drank, maybe, but I I don't drink alcohol, so that's out. But I just, you know, I'm just sitting here looking, okay, there's only eight discs, but there's 24 hours of trailers on these discs. Oh my god. I need to to just get like a, uh, you know, like an eight DVD changer and yeah. just have them in a constant loop in the background. Just have them playing all day long in the background as I'm working around the house and writing and stuff. Yeah. I wanted to thank Brad for showing up this week. <laughs> I, I could spare. I was able to spare 40 minutes. And then, Brian, we'll, we'll actually have more time to talk to you next week. No, we won't. <laughs> uh, uh, oh. <laughs> hey, hey that, that's Brad's call. 
<laughs> and I wanted to thank Mike for popping in, but Mike, like I said, this is a shortened one, so we didn't get to ha- let you talk as much as you know we wanted to, because Brian wouldn't shut up. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> You're fine, Brian. God damn, Brian. So I'm just happy to be invited. <laughs> <laughs> so listen to the interview I did with the director of Evocateur, the new Morton Downey Jr. documentary, and then after that, I will announce the winner of the 42nd Street Forever contest, so you're all going to want to pay attention and listen to that. Have a nice night. Hey, gang, getting a little bored with Oprah still and Johnny, huh? We'll try it. This on for Great. Shut up, the you shut up. I'll insult everything but your intelligence. Weeknights at 11, only on 31 UHF. I'm here with Jeremy Newberger, producer of the new documentary on Morton Downey Jr., Evocateur. Can you tell us a little bit about this documentary for people that might not be familiar with Mort? Well, Morton Downey Jr. was a talk show host in 1987, 1988, and a little piece of 1989. And in that short span of talk show host, he used to offend just about everybody. Um, this guy was like the precursor to the Rush Limbos and the Glenn Becks of the world, who would chain smoke cigarettes, scream in guest's face. He would just tell you how he felt and throw people off the show. And it was wild. Uh, and I was a impressionable and high school kid uh, at the time who was eating it up. And uh, and so were all my friends. This was sort of the thing you were watching at 11 o'clock p.m. Uh, and then talking about the next day. Uh, and, and it's been, what, 25 years since the show. And I think it spawned a lot of imitation and maybe even responsible for some of the trends that you see in, in talk radio and talk television. Mort was definitely a trailblazer. I'm not sure what he the trail he blazed was necessarily a high-end one, but he was definitely a trailblazer that affected TV. So I guess my question to you would be, why did you feel a documentary needed to be made on him, which I'm going to be first in line to see because I love Morton Downey Jr. show. <laughs> well, as I mentioned, uh, I was a high school kid, right? And uh, First off, this film is directed and produced by me and two other guys. We're a three-headed directing-producing team. And the three of us were all in high school at the time watching Morton Downey. So about four years ago, we were trying to come up with our next project. And I think it was myself. I came up with the idea, hey, remember that guy Morton Downey? What about him? And we all just sort of nodded and agreed, this is what we want to spend the next, like, you know, five years of our life thinking about. Because none of us were old enough to get to the show because you had to have a car to get the Secaucus if you weren't from New Jersey. Uh, but we all, like I said, we watched it religiously. Uh, and we thought that just because of the, the way things are right now in, you know, on the news, uh, with cable news channels and sort of wagging heads and pundits sort of screaming at each other, it, it still holds like a, a relevant note. Uh, it still, you know, makes sense. It just sort of set us off on a mission to try and bring more to the big screen. Uh, the one thing that we were certain about was we didn't want it to just be, these sort of best of shows or like a VH1 behind the music about Morton Downey. We wanted it to have more of a cult appeal. So the way that we've crafted the film 
is more like a, a fanboy's sort of imagination of what it means, what Mort meant and what he means with animation and uh, poetry and rock and roll. And uh, I think that if you were a fan of Mort, like you say you are, Josh, you'll appreciate this film because it's sort of designed for you. And I even helped you make it a little bit. I know you guys ran into some problem with finding footage. They came to me and they're like, hey, we heard you've got some. I sent them a bunch of old promos and a bunch of old stuff they couldn't get their hands on. So I felt like I was part of the process, Jeremy. That that was really cool. Josh, you, you were and are part of the process. And, uh, you know, in researching the, the, the sort of footage and the film that you want to make, uh, sometimes you have to go off the grid. <laughs> and I think we came across you off the grid. It was just uh, serendipitous that you had what we were looking for and it worked out and you were a fan of Mort and you're a fan of the project. So, yeah, you, you, you're you a piece of it, which is great because it takes a village to make one of these things, so to speak. Absolutely. But but then that also begs the question, was it that his his production company or whoever actually owns all of his shows was not cooperating with you or did they just not have the footage any longer just lying around for old promos sent to independent stations and things? Well, yeah, let me give you a little bit of background on how we got the footage because it's, it's, I think it's an interesting story. So, you know, when, once you've decided that you want to make a film about Morton Downey Jr., the first sort of riddle you're faced with is, all right, where are the tapes from the Morton Downey Jr. show? It took us like a solid six months to track them down. We went to just about every major media company who might be in possession of the show because when you're researching you see it's changed ownership a few times that company was by this company but when it finally came down to well who who had the tapes it was bob Pittman, who was the executive producer and creator of the show he also uh created mtv he was also the you know the ceo of aol time warner you know, he's this big media giant it turns out that we shot him an email and described the project we were trying to do not really knowing that he had the tapes, but trying to get his involvement. And he liked our idea, and he called us in for a meeting. And at that meeting, he sort of was digging what we were planning to do and said, hey, I've got the tapes. They're in a storage facility in New Jersey. You just got to go pick them up with a U-Haul. <laughs> so we went to that storage facility, and these tapes had not been touched in you know probably about 20 years. Uh, and they were in 80 cardboard boxes, I remember. And me and my partner, Seth, we we schlepped them onto the U-Haul and drove them from Jersey back to our office in uh, Garrison, New York. The box were a real treasure trove. I mean, we had, for the most part, all of the Morton Downey Jr. show. And it came with a bunch of the board games. I don't know if you remember, Josh, but Mort had a short-lived uh, Monopoly-style board game. The Mouth, yes. <laughs> yeah. So we had a bunch of those, most of the tapes. Uh, but when we started going through it, there were a few sort of missing pieces. Uh, like you said, promos and things of that nature, things that probably went out to the stations and never made it back to the mothership. And a couple of the controversial shows that didn't air that we had been reading about because of lawsuits, those also had been probably destroyed after they were uh, submitted to lawyers. Um, but we had enough enough to, to put together a really good show. And I have to say, watching those shows again brought brought us back. And we remembered why it was so cool and so interesting. Uh, and the topics are just the same things people are arguing about today. You know, it's abortion. It's uh, civil right questions. It's, uh, you know, the flag, prayer in school. It's, it's all the same sort of topics people are still bickering about, except with this audience participation, 
like you've never seen it. My thing with, with the show was, I mean, looking back at it as an adult was how uneven it was in tone. And I'm not saying that in a snide way. You know, one night he'd, he'd have a story about the homeless that are having to sleep in abandoned garbage trucks in New York. And then the next night it would be Nazi strippers who think they've been abducted by aliens. These two, the tone was just all over the place. It seemed like he wanted to be a real journalist and a shock jock at the same time. And those two things don't seem to go together. I think what happened was they hit a certain point in the run of the show where they got a little bit too outrageous and it was tough to get guests. And as a result, started being a little bit more outlandish and a little bit closer to the the sort of the cross-dressing, you know, Nazi Martians or whatever it is. And that's when, for me, I think the show started to go out, out downward and out of my interest. Because I remember at a certain point, it wasn't the same sort of vibe that it had at the beginning. And I think that that sort of downward descent of the show may have led more to self-destruct. Uh, among other things, so with and, the, with the famous swastika painted backwards by himself in the bathroom incident. Yeah, I mean, from from everything that we spoke to, from all the people we spoke to, it seemed that his ratings started to decline, and he started thinking, "God, I got to do something big uh, in order to get the ratings back up, in order to be back on top." Uh, something that's interesting was this guy was in his like fifties when he hit it big, so. I mean, he had a bunch of different sort of past jobs of various note, and we go into it. It is interesting to see his background, but he was it was like becoming Justin Bieber at age fifty-five or something. So all of a sudden, all of the things that your whole life you didn't have access to, good and bad, was at your disposal at an age you know that you're sort of past your prime a little bit for those types of things. So he he craved that attention and and desired to be famous for the rest of his life, but the show was declining, so he had to do something just big and outrageous. And unfortunately, it was the most self-destructive thing he could imagine. He didn't exactly think his cunning plan all the way through was kind of what it came down to. Yes, and for for those in your audience who don't know what happened, he claimed to have been attacked by skinheads in a bathroom at an airport in San Francisco. When he came out of the uh, bathroom, he had a swastika on his face, uh, you know, the Nazi swastika, but it was backwards. So nobody believed him. People called it a hoax, and that was the tipping point where they just pulled the plug on his show. Yeah, and then he tried another one in the really early, like, 1990, I think, just called Mort. And it was a much more quieter, more Donahue-like show, and no one cared. Nobody yeah. watched that version. <laughs> No, the, you know what? The original Morton Downey Jr. show, when that ended, that was it. it. In any of his sort of reincarnations, none of them hit. And, you know, coincidentally, I think I was working, I got a job as a producer on Imus in the Morning, and we were working out of Fort Lee, New Jersey, and I crossed paths with one of Mort's uh, later incarnations, briefly. I was, this was the beginning of my career. Um, but none of those shows ever were anywhere close to the popularity of the Morton Downey Jr. show, which was the top of the ratings for a very brief time. But it was the top of the ratings. He was on the cover of magazines like People and Time or Newsweek. He was uh, on Saturday Night Live. I mean, it was like all the things you see when someone's like hit it big, he was there. And then he, he also had a movie career for a while. 
he was he basically he more or less played himself in the movie Predator Two. He was the right. he was the villain in the third Revenge of the Nerds movie. Yeah, he uh, was well, he, he was a CIA boss in some Adrian Paul like direct to video thriller. You know, I think the Revenge of the Nerds movie was atrocious, but his movie career never uh, it never really took off. He was in you pretty much named the most recognizable titles. A lot of the other things he went he was in would mostly be described as like a Skinamax kind of film. You know, he generally played himself. It was like the sleazy talk show host. Or I think my favorite thing I saw him in was that uh, creep show. I'm sorry, Tales of the... uh, Tales Tales from the the Crypt. Crypt. Because that was a creepy as hell episode, too. He was great in that. He was pretty good in that. And he was pretending to be like a Geraldo Rivera type, which was kind of funny that he was doing that. Well, and then he also had the very public feud with Howard Stern. The whole thing was he declared bankruptcy and then threw his wife a huge, extravagant, ultra-expensive party while he was going through bankruptcy, and Howard called him on it, and he punched one of Howard's producers. Right, right, right. You know, and, and there's video of that on YouTube still, if, if your audience is interested in seeing it. I actually, I, have, that Howard, I actually have that Howard Stern show on tape. That was back when I was... I think his WWOR show. I think I still have that actual episode. Do you want to know something fun? The Howard Stern show that you're talking about on WOR was filmed in the same studio that Morton Downey Jr. show was shot in. And we went to that studio. It's in Secaucus, New Jersey. It's My Nine now. I think it's like a Ox-owned location. And essentially, they used that, that particular studio as like storage. We went in there. There was like stuff being stored there. They don't use it for an active show. Because they, uh, most of their news is just, I guess, like two anchors at a desk, um, for, you know, a couple of hits a day and everything else is from the mothership, you know. That was the studio where that Richard Bay did a show, Morton Downey did a show, that's where Howard did his show a couple of years later. Uh, and as a big Howard Stern fan, uh, actually all three directors were Howard Stern fans, uh, also, uh, this was a fun project because a lot of these sort of guests sort of intersect. And I remember when he used to go on Stern. I remember when he went on Stern and they were friendly with him. And then I remember when they were having their feuds. And it, it just was like, it was like fun. It was fun character stuff that, you know, they were all larger than life characters sort of fighting. And it was always very amusing. Then the end of Mort's career would obviously have been where he, he did an about face. Because anyone that's old enough to remember the show, like you pointed out, he would blow smoke in people's faces. And he was a huge, you do not take my cigarettes away from me. Then he comes down with lung cancer, and he's a huge anti-cigarette advocate. Some people saw that as a flip-flopper. I saw that as he finally had the epiphany the rest of us had years ago. I have to say that I think I might have learned how to smoke cigarettes at a young age, thanks to Morton Downey. And I think he regretted that most, that he had sort of been a role model for young people uh, for smoking. And when he got lung cancer... He did a about face and, you know, he had a young daughter and he felt he felt bad that he was sort of checking out prematurely. So he made it his life's mission. Um, he spoke at some congressional hearings against cigarettes and tobacco and, you know, did some public service announcements. And when he went, man, he he didn't look so hot in the end. They uh, they did some surgeries and uh, some of the footage that we, we saw from interviews he did on CNN and the like. If there's anything that will stop you from smoking, if you're a smoker, it might be uh, watching Morton Downey from beginning to end in our film. It just does not, it does not end well for him in that regard. Did you have any kind of interaction with his family? Did they help you with this documentary or were they against it? Uh, we interviewed his daughter, Kelly, 
who lived with Mort and his, what was it, his third wife, Kim, in New Jersey when the Morton Downey Jr. show was going on. And she was, she was, I'd say about a college aged at the time. So she was very familiar with that time in his life where we focus a lot of our film. And she was terrific. She told us, you know, great stuff. She's in the film, very supportive of the project. And you'll see when you see the film that, you know, she gives a really good perspective from the inside because she was there during his wild ride in the late 80s. Well, speaking of seeing the film, where can where can people see the film? Is it just going to get a theatrical release, or are you going to, guys going to put this out on DVD relatively soon? All right, so it's it's all sort of happening now. Our premiere, uh, the world premiere of this film, is at the Tribeca Film Festival in April. It's going to screen a few times at the Tribeca Film Festival. It's probably going to do a, a festival run at a few other festivals. And then the plan right now is, yes, we want it in theaters. Yes, we want it on TV. Yes, we want you to have a DVD. If you love Morton Downey, you're going to want the DVD on your shelf. So yes to all that. And my hope is that people will be able to see it in theaters and see the film in 2012 at some point after its uh, initial premiere at the festival. So we, we a website and a trailer for the film. I will warn audiences that the trailer uh, is not for little kids. It's not for those with a weak heart. And it's at a website called MortonDowneyJuniorMovie.com, www.MortonDowneyJuniorMovie.com. All right, and so I want to thank you. Well, Josh, I hope that you and your audience will come check out Evocateur, the Morton Downey Jr. movie, and let us know what you think. Uh, I think it's going to be a big hit, and uh, I think Mort, if he was alive today, proud. So thanks for having me on, and uh, good night to everybody. I also want to announce the winner of the 42nd Street Forever contest. First off, I want to say you guys did not make this easy on me. Out of about the 40 entries that we got, at least 10 of you guys were really close into the running. So if you didn't win the contest, please don't feel bad. There were quite a few of you that I really wanted to give this 42nd Street Forever set to, but I only have one set to give away. Right now, I'm going to say... Michael Kennedy of West Sayville, New York, you are the winner. But Angelique St. Pierre, you, you should know you were an extremely close second. Extremely close. So I, I'm going to be sending you something. I don't know what. I'll find some DVD or something. But Angelique, you're going to be winning something too. And I want to thank everybody that entered. And if you don't, if you didn't win, please don't feel bad. Like I said, you guys made this a very difficult choice for this contest.
Bone. Paint my face with starlight. 